everybody, and welcome to Are Your Parents Proud of You? Uh, Matt has decided that he is too much of a diva to introduce the show himself, so now I have to introduce him well, to make him seem more important. Once in a while. No, 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 no. Hey, hey, Matt, you you don't get to talk until I say so. This is this is the power you have bestowed upon me now by forcing me to do this, Matt. Whatever. So I just host the show. Okay, now you can talk, Matt. Thank you. But buddy. but only but only because I said so. Thank you, Griffin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Our Parents Proud of You. Today, we have a prestigious guest, Griffin. Really? Yes, Jeff Ginsburg. Ah. Now. Very very prestigious yes, indeed. Because we were in school while he was a teacher. Now, have you ever had him before? Uh, I have not. I only met him once, and it was when I went to audition for. Uh, Per Gunt or Pier Gint or whatever that show is called. I heard about a dozen different pronunciations and apparently they're all correct. He says a correct pronunciation at show during our interview, so you'll know. Okay. Well, I just remember like asking people like what the correct pronunciation was and and they did like people who were in the show and they didn't know. Oh. <laughs> well, here's the thing. They were like, you can say it a few different ways. And there's no, there's no wrong answers. It's just like acting, you know? Yeah, of course. When I was a student at Columbia College, Chicago, one of the teachers I heard about was Jeff Ginsburg and how creative, how kooky he was. A friend of mine posted about him on Facebook by saying he would play vampire weekend music and let the students roll on the floor. That's, you know, typical Columbia College, I would say. But, you know, he was really creative. He was really cool. After of course, that, that sounds like the prototypical Columbia College professor. Right? After hearing these stories, I told myself I want to take a class with him. I want him to teach me the fundamentals of acting. And then, 2017, he retired. After over 30 uh, years. damn. Well, after 30 years. That's, that's pretty good. That is, that is a very long time. Yeah. So, when this podcast started, his name is at the top of this list. So, besides teaching at Columbia... Jeff was co-artistic director of the National Jewish Theater, where he supervised, directed, and acted in over 20 classics, as well as Chicago and world premieres. He was also the co-artistic director of the Immediate Theater Company. We recorded this conversation on August 29th, so some information might change. Are you ready to learn a little bit more about Jeff Griffin? Yes. I want to know how that, that damn show's title is pronounced. Let's go! Hey, Jeff. Hey, Matthew. Thank you again for doing this. My pleasure. So you are currently in Rhode Island right now. This is where you live. Um, How's life been during these crazy times? Attitude of gratitude. So much to be thankful for. I mean, I can't tell you. Um, You know, I moved a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, could I have even sold my house in Chicago now? the Chicago theater community has been decimated. I mean, and it will rebound and things will change and hopefully improve. But I felt like I left um, Chicago at the perfect time. I'm moving in a very tiny town um, in a reconverted 1860s American tourister luggage mill Hmm. that was left abandoned for decades and then refurbished five years ago. And I was very fortunate to find 
a tiny apartment in this gorgeous building on a cove in Rhode Island. So that's awesome. And during all this, how did you miss coming to Chicago? Did you miss your peers during all this? Did you have any thoughts of coming back to Chicago? Never, during all this? never had a second thought about coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'll come back to visit eventually. Mm-hmm. And I have very, very dear people who I'm now seeing due to, to the Zoom platform. I mean, in a way, I'm, I'm having more interaction with some of my very, very good friends and colleagues in Chicago now than I would have pre-Zoom, pre-COVID. So it's just kind of a strange mixed blessing. But I, Matthew, I just did not want to live in an 8 million person metropolitan area anymore. I've been there for 35 years. Um, when Columbia, and I was you know, at Columbia for 32 years, and it was a huge blessing. I loved Columbia. I loved teaching. I loved directing. I loved, you know, again, I also feel like I came to Chicago at a perfect time in 84. And, um, and I feel like I left, for me, at a perfect time. Describe that perfect time. I'm, so, like you said, you you taught at Chicago at Columbia for thirty two years. You know, we'll get into how you started and your methods and all later. But you know, for someone like that, when is it time that you think enough is enough? Well, it was just like instinct. I mean, I I had seen my beloved Sheldon teach until four days before he died. I like substituted his last class when he was in the hospital. And I thought, and I, you know, I loved Sheldon and Sheldon, Sheldon's intuition and generosity brought 25 colleagues together to really form the foundation of the department in the mid and late eighties. And we all stayed. I mean, that it's just, we, I mean, I, I was colleagues with those people for 25 years. It's unheard of. People now are in a job for five years and they use it as, as a stepping stone for the next part of their life. I mean, you know, it was just an amazing, amazing time. You know, I, my partner had died. I was with my partner for 30 years. He died in 2013. And then when the college off began to offer, you know, to kind of, because of fiscal reasons, they offered voluntary separation. Um, I just, when I was 65, I thought, Hal's dead. Um, I don't want to live in the house that I shared with him for 30 years. I want to live in a more sedate environment. Let me take this. You know, so the voluntary separation was for like tenured faculty who'd been there X amount of time. And I applied and gratefully I got it. And then began a two year process of divesting my house of 30 years of a shared existence. And there was no second thoughts. You never thought, I can do a couple more years. Oh, are you crazy? (laughs) Apparently. Why why would I? No, 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 no. I I feel like one thing I'm, one thing I'm respecting now in my, in myself as I, as I am growing and maturing as an adult, finally, is to follow my intuition. There was no reason to stay longer. I, you know, my partner had died. Columbia offered me voluntary separation. My mom, who I was very close to, died in 2016. I thought, 
I'm getting some messages. I don't didn't want to grow old in Chicago, frankly. And I'm not a Chicagoan. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm, a new, I'm a New England kid. I'm a New England boy. I was born in Fall River, Massachusetts, the home of Lizzie Borden. If you know Lizzie Borden took an ax and gave, yeah. So, um, and now I'm living 20 minutes from Fall River, 15 minutes. So I, you know, I joined my parents' old synagogue. It's amazing. It's funny because when you were talking about these signs and these instincts, not to be very old school theater teacher, but it's like, it's like you get the instincts and you have, um, you have the, the impulse to want to do something and try something kind of like in a scene class, for example, it's like, just go for it and see what happens. And for your sake, well, you thought all these signs are kind of pointing to me to do this. Fuck it. Let's take the chance and see what happens. So good on you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, now, I mean, look what happens. I mean, I, I mean, I felt like, and humbly, I felt like I was a good vehicle for teaching acting training. And now, and I felt like one of my strengths was being in the classroom and really connecting with students and modeling behavior. And now, Matthew, to do it on a Zoom platform, I mean, I, first of all, I'm a technical dinosaur. I mean, I still have a fucking rotary phone. Okay. So, no, I mean I don't. I don't. But I mean, I, I, I mean. You, I, my dad, too. Don't I you worry. A, I use an, an abacus. I don't have a. No, but I mean, I, I also would have need to. I needed to really have a. I have a big, big learning curve regarding. But not only that, I and I know my in speaking to my colleagues and teachers all over the country in every in every grade, the challenges are enormous. Mm-hmm. So it's another gift from the higher power to have me taken voluntary separation a year before the pandemic happened and to then totally totally had to realign my teaching on a zoom platform acting and you know for someone like i did my last acting class uh last semester through zoom um and it didn't feel like a class to be honest with you it felt like every couple weeks memorize a monologue and then send it in we didn't, ha- we actually didn't have this Zoom class. So pretty much by second week of March, I thought, well, all right, well, I passed this class. So yeah. I didn't feel the work. I didn't feel the um, pride I took that at the end of the semester of thinking, well, I did that and I worked hard for it. And that was something I always took away from my last few acting classes, whether it was a foundations or a character class or an acting class, there was a pride that I took away with thinking, you know, whether I do this kind of theater again, who knows, but I'm proud that I took that approach to it and took the whole semester to do it. And I didn't feel that um, with that, with this pandemic. So I'm glad that it's over, um, unfortunately, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I want to circle back to you and your upbringing. Like you said, you grew up in Massachusetts. Um, what kind of kid were you? Oh, a very introverted, bookish, shy, in the closet. I mean, you know, grew up um, with very loving parents, but in a very kind of strictly orthodox Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Um So I found as many people in theater, I think, well, for me anyway, I could like release some of my energy and my expressivity 
by doing theater. And that started playing King David in my Hebrew school pageant and having my grandfather, who was a tailor, sew a beautiful big blue satin robe for me as King David with a big gold Jewish star on it. And so I had my first great costume. Um, and then, you know, I just, I, I found that it was an area that I excelled for whatever, whatever, whatever reason. I just, um, I had fun and I was alive portraying characters through high school, et cetera. As, like you, I was also a very shy kid growing up. Why do you think actors tend to be shy growing up? And that is it just because when they get on stage, they're acting and they're not being their true self? I think so. I felt like I, I well, for, for me, um, I was not a, a sports guy. I was, you know, I was very, I was good in school, but I, I as again, I, I, I can only say what I, I reiterate what I just said about the sense of releasing feelings and energy. And also, I don't think I liked myself as a kid because I was so shy and a bit awkward. So to step into other people's shoes and not have to be myself, I mean, I'm, I'm probably saying cliches, but um, I found pleasure in being able to be bold through the text and emotions of another, of others. And so, you know, I did a lot of, I did a lot of acting and, um, you know, then I just felt, although, you know, it's interesting, I was thinking about my, I don't know why this is, but I was thinking about in my sixth grade class, we, we, uh, we produced a little mimeographed like yearbook, mm -hmm. seven pages, like the school song and blah, blah, blah. And then the last couple of pages, and you know, it's 30 kids in the class. It was your name, your address, and what you wanted to be when you grew up. And I put, I want to be an actor. Hmm. And so I don't, I don't know how, what, how that even evolved as, how old are you in sixth grade, 11, 12? Probably. I guess people have dreams of being an airline pilot or a nurse or, uh, you know, a dental hygienist or a model mm -hmm. when they're young. But I, and then like, I'm really blessed that I had a career in the theater, which is one of the hardest things to create and maintain and grow. Mm -hmm. And so an another, just like things were done for me, not by me. I mean, I'm a big proponent of that phrase, that things are done for me, not by me. I mean, I have to put in the work, but then it evolved. Yeah. What did your What did your parents do, and how do they feel about? Oh, I love you my parents. That? My parents, well, you know, my parents, you know, my parents didn't know how to deal. My parents didn't know how to deal with me. I mean, I was just a black sheep. Um, and my parents were this affable. My father, you know, was drafted as a junior in high school to fight in Italy in World War II. Hmm. You know, my he came back totally intact, thank God, married my, went, re, re went back to high school to finish his last year or two years, met my mother in high school, and they just were a gorgeous, kind, affable couple. Um, my father owned a clothing store, went into business with his brother, and, and opened a men's clothing store in Fall River, and my mom was a housewife, and um, they just 
loved and supported me. I mean, there was no set. My parents were forward thinking enough to know that, like, Jeff's not going to be good in taking over the men's clothing store business. Mm -hmm. So let him do where he thinks his strengths are. So they never. And then as, as they saw that I was successful in it, they, you know, they had pride. They were, they would always come to see my shows in college and grad school in summer stock down the Cape. I mean, you know, as I, and then when I moved to Chicago, they came out to see shows I directed and work in. So there was never any pushback at a very formative time when if my father had been in a different profession, he might've said, this is crazy. You mm -hmm. cannot go to acting school. What a waste. There was, I luckily, thank goodness, never had to deal with that kind of. That, that life. Um, yeah, so then, so like you said, in sixth grade, you wanted to be an actor. Did that ever change at all? No. Uh, no, no. It's, yeah, because then when you went to um, school, um, you went to um, uh, Boston University, and you yeah. got your, your bachelor's in there. Um, you know, what was your time like there and in, in, in college? Didn't that really, you know, change anything for you? Like, did it, you was just... it was glorious. I mean, it both both undergraduate and graduate school were glorious. I was in a pool with people who wanted to swim the way I wanted to swim after being, you know, you know what it is to all of a sudden you, you find like-minded peers and you're all pulling for the same result. And, you know, if you, I, I don't know if you've gone on my Facebook page, have you seen, so you saw a couple of the couple of the photos I posted yeah. oh, just lately. So, I mean, BU was, I mean, I had great opportunities and the same thing going to grad school. I had great opportunities and worked with great teachers and great, great people who were still, you know, friends of mine. So, and um, you, and, but you said like much of your career of energy and passion is devoted to teaching and um, collaborating with younger colleagues. Was there any specific colleagues during that time who really stood out to you who made you want to be a better actor or something like that um i wouldn't say i'm i mean i had great colleagues in undergraduate school and grad school but i would say that for me the the like the fundamental inspiration were were some of my teachers so i had amazing teachers both at bu and at yale and i and i would say also in between BU and Yale, I spent two or three years in New York City, mm -hmm. and I studied with an amazing teacher named Peter Thompson, who was also a brilliant actor. And I, I learned a lot about personalization. Like, you know, I was a young, as a, I mean, this goes back to what I said before, I think I was, as a young actor, I wanted to escape self. And Peter Thompson, proposed that I use self. So that was a revelation that I could use myself in interpreting a character as opposed to stepping outside of it and feel like I had to recreate from scratch or create from scratch. So this guy, Peter Thompson, was a, a very seminal influence to me, died, oh my God, a long time, like 15 years ago now. But 
so that and then you know I had some great great teachers both in undergraduate and graduate school and I had some very um challenging and not strong teachers but I mean you know that I mean you what am I learning now I'm studying Judaism as a 68 year old man and I'm very close friends with my rabbi and he said there's a lot of you know reprehensible stuff in the five books of Moses but our intention is to find the gems so I was always I always try to in my life now I'm going for the gem as opposed to the cold yeah <laughs> I like that and you know it's it's like the express it's not like just putting on a mask I think that's what Peter Thompson would say it's um, taking off the mask it's right. taking off the mask but you remember as a, I mean for, for me as a gay kid I had to put the mask on I always felt like I was wearing a mask and um, it was great to be able to reveal self through character. Do you remember the first time when you felt like you had to, you took that off? That yeah. Mask off? Yeah, I I felt like I in my senior year in BU, I and I had done a lot of I I had a lot of fun and got an opportunities to play a lot of great roles in workshops and in full length productions. But I was cast in a production of Genet's The Maids. I don't know if you know Jean Genet's The Maids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's it, written to be played by two men playing the sisters who poison or want to poison their employer. But ultimately, one of the maids, my character, um, commits suicide by drinking the poisoned tea. And... I think that it was the first time that I just let what I knew about that complexity, that gen- the gender issues, the power issues, the femininity that I had to portray in that role, it was just a, 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 a pivotal role for me. And did your parents, when, did they, first of all, did they see that performance? They, they did not see that performance. Mm. Do you wish they had? Yeah, I, th- I, wish, I wish they had. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think up until that point, they finally saw you take that mask off? I think, I mean, I think, even in high school, I, 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 was, I was cast in this great, I mean, for its time, this great farce called Mrs. McFay. And it was written by, the, by um, Mary Chase, the woman who wrote Harvey. Do you know the play Harvey? Yeah. You know, the White Rabbit. So, and I played um, this character named Poison Eddie Schellenbach, who was this gangster. But like kind of gangster, like Bert Lahr as the cowardly lion, like a lot of bluster, but really a little, a little frightened mama's boy. And it was a great, I mean, it, it was just great. It was great fun. And I think my parents, they, they came to see that show. And I also remember the director who was a guest, he wasn't a teacher at the high school, saying to my parents, 
you know, he could potentially do this for real. So, you know, and then, then they saw me perform a lot and never did they say, I think they were relieved when I got a consistent source of income through Columbia. But I think that they saw as I very slowly began to ascend through, I mean, and, and you know, this is just, hum, I'm humbly saying this, to, to get into Yale was a, a huge thing for me, but also another validation for them. But, you know, I mean, anyway, they, 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 did, they only provided support. They never provided second guessing and saying, think of a backup. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, so how long after when you graduated from Yale did you want to come to Chicago? Well, I, I came to Chicago in this way. I was cast at a show at the Rep Theater of St. Louis after grad school. And I was the only, I was living in a, a, a third or fourth floor walk up with like eight other starving actors and um, in Brooklyn. And I was cast, I was the only person cast out of New York. All the other, the four other actors in the show, there were five of us, were from Chicago. And I really, it was my first time in the Midwest. St. Louis reminded me of New England in some ways. I was there in the fall. It was beautiful. And very quickly after that gig was finished, I broke up a very, a relationship that was already on the rocks. And cold turkey, I flew to Chicago within a week of coming back to Brooklyn. I, I left a, a half year's rent is my memory, a check, and then I just, and I didn't have many belongings. I stored what I had in my parent, with my parents. And I was on a plane and came to Chicago during the harshest winter in memory. It was the winter, it was like January 5th, was it 83? I think it was 83, where that winter, there were 90 days of below zero temperature. Pipes were freezing and I slept on the floor of in a, a basement apartment of one of the actors who I met in, in St. Louis, who you know remains a very, very dear friend of mine. So, so that's how I came. I, I'd, never been to, I'd never been to Chicago before. It was another, it was a, it was a thing of like another, just, just intuition, just do it, just do it. And so when you tell people now, if you want to go to Chicago, you should definitely say you should come for the weather, right? <laughs> like definitely come during the holidays and all that. <laughs> uh, so when you were in Chicago, this is when you um, were the artistic director of the National Jewish Theater, correct? Well, that that was I. I arrived in '83, but I didn't become the co-artistic director with Susan Padveen of the National okay. Jewish Theater until '92. Okay. So, how did you come upon that theater? Well, that was due to Sheldon. 
How did you meet Sheldon and how they introduced you to, you to all these wonderful theaters? Um, in 84, when I'd been here for 10 months, one of the actors that I met in St. Louis, a, a brilliant, wonderful actor who's also a very close friend of mine, Brad Mott, was teaching adjunct at Columbia. And he called me one morning and said, I have a gig, I have an audition. Can you step in to teach my class? And I said, sure. I mean, I had taught in grad school. I had taught in summer programs in grad school. So I said, sure. And the next time he had an audition, he called me. And I said, yes. And Sheldon was one of those teacher, was one of those chairs who literally would put his ear to the door to see what's going on in the classroom. And he put great credibility in what students would report about an instructor. And so before I knew it, Sheldon had offered me a class. And then after a semester, two. And then after a year, four. And so I became, and also the department was really, I mean, again, I, I came at the influx of a load of young actors to Chicago because of Steppenwolf and the organic theater and the body politic and Victory Gardens and all of these theaters that are just busting at the seams and getting, I mean, you know, like the first show I saw at Steppenwolf was Anna Nightingale sang, which still, rem which still remains a pivotal theater going experience with Joan Allen and Laurie Metcalf. And uh, I mean, so it just kind of, it grew because I, I had an affinity and I had, I had an affinity with young people and I had success in the classroom. And I was always someone who just loved training myself. So I always was in, I was always being a student of acting and physical theater throughout my, and even today, before I did this interview, I'm still studying with Ruth Sapora, this 84 year old, amazing choreographer mover who, you know, formulated the, the, the system of called action theater. So I'm always training. And that's how it happened. And then I just loved, I love being in the classroom. Sheldon was the artistic director of the National Jewish Theater for a couple of years. And when he decided to step down, he recommended that Susan and I potentially apply for the job. And that's how I got, how we got the co-artistic directorship of the theater for the last four or five years of its existence. I was gonna say, how did it um, stop or um, end? Was it because of plays? Was it money? It was, it was a combination of things. I mean, you know, the, the National Jewish Theater was under the um, auspices of the um, Jewish community centers of, of Chicago. And we could not perform on a Friday night or Saturday, Saturday afternoon, or Saturday evening in the winter, which those because of because we're not allowed to work. Mm -hmm. And so that's where a theater 
make 70% of its income. So we were a theater that shut its doors having over 3,200 subscribers because the community's fathers in that organization decided that they didn't want to foot the bill anymore for the Jewish theater. And you know what? It's no regrets. Um, material, you know, like all the theaters now try to program a black play or a Latino play or a Asian American play or a Jewish play. Theaters need to be much more polyglot about their programming. So I'm not sure. And, and, you know, we were one of many specifically Jewish theaters that closed across the country. When, do you ever think about going back or was that, your, sorry, was that even your first time being an artistic director? And then did you even know the, the behind the scenes work of a theater company at that point? I, I, was the, I was the artistic director of a small ensemble Nate called the immediate theater from 86 to 90. And so I kind of cut my teeth on the, the immediate theater. Um, and I would say that I was always much stronger in the artistic components of the leadership of a theater than the managerial ones. So I, I mean, I felt like I, I had intuition about play selection and directing and casting and design. I wasn't necessarily great as being a public person to raise money mm -hmm. and to be, a, you know, to, to play that kind of, I don't want to say game, it makes it sound pejorative, but to do what an artistic director has to do, which is not only the art, but also the business. It has to go hand in hand. And of course, we had managing directors at both, both theaters that I was a co-artistic director at. But, and also the immediate, which closed in 90, I mean, we also had some great success. We, but, you know, we were 30-year-olds and we had been throwing our salaries back into the pot to keep the company floating. And at 30, two thirds of the actors said, we want families and homes. We wanna try our luck in Los Angeles. We don't wanna throw back our $214 a week to keep the company going. And so we had a 10 year run as did the National Jewish Theater had a 10 year run as did the group theater, one of the foremost theaters in the history of the American world have a 10 year run. Things evolve. I mean, things evolve. Was there a show in particular that really st sticks with you right now up to this point that you've directed at Columbia? I'm thinking because I was so privileged to direct so many shows that I was so, so proud of. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I mean, I, I had always wanted to do Per Gint, which was the last show that I directed at Columbia. And so that holds a special place in my heart because both of the cast and the design and working with my assistant director, Jordan, 
and um, but also because of its message. And the message of Peer Gint, I mean, to simplify, it's a four and a half hour epic in its original, you know, writings, is you have to go through something, you can't go around it. And so, um, so Peer Gint, but then there are loads of, loads of shows. I was so fortunate because like I, I you know, Sheldon, who was the chair for 30 years, he had an affinity to me and he knew I just loved the students and I loved my, my craft. And when I would propose a show, he always said yes. So I was directing a main stage show every other year since 1984 when I, when I was hot. My first show was in 86. And then I was, and of course, you know, the, you know, the, it was a much smaller faculty then, mm -hmm. and Sheldon really was. I mean, he, you know, he, you know, he was the authority. There were there were no selection committees. He ruled because he was the king, and you know, he had he was a benevolent dictator, and he was a brilliant man of the theater. So he knew how to balance a season. But when I would bring in a piece of material, he would invariably say yes. Mm. And so I did a lot of directing, Matthew, there. A lot of directing. 30 shows. Jeez. In, I mean, I was, there for 30, I was there for 32 years, but even on, on the off years when I didn't do a main stage, if there was like a workshop, a, a small one act or, or, a, or, or a show that could be done with bare bones tech that I was really excited about that I thought would benefit the students, he would, you know, throw me a hundred bucks and he, we, we said, hold, hold your auditions and, you know, we'll get you a stage manager and it'll run for four performances. So I did a buttload of shows. What was the best part about that? Was it just seeing the final production go up? Well, it was always the process. I just loved working. I mean, I love working with professional actors and I love working with student actors. I just love being in the room. I'm someone who's, I mean, I, some, I'm a director who does not sit behind a table. I get up and I'm in in the mix and throw in the throw with everyone, and um, I just love the process of co-collaborating and creating something. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a difference you think in college actors, student students per se, as opposed to real professional actors that outside the school? No, not not with no. Mm -hmm. No, I mean the the hunger, the appetite, the talent, the collaborative ideas the nature the the nature of the i mean you know i mean i i mean i directed some amazing student at caroline neff mm -hmm. you know joey hanza beza dabu joe socorro i mean uh, and and those are only the people that have gotten some notoriety there are scores and scores and scores of brilliant actors who are not names that I was fortunate enough to collaborate with. So, and also, I mean, Columbia for whatever the water was, it attracted brilliant kids and still does, I'm sure, but brilliant kids who just were really talented, exceedingly talented 20 year olds that could compete with any, I mean, you know, 
last fall, I was uh, being a teacher's assistant for Laura Klinka and her STEAM study class. Um, and it's funny, I never taught at, up until that point, even though I was an education minor at the time. And so I'm watching these scenes and these younger actors, and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, I see myself in that guy or that choice. I see myself in that person. Did you ever see yourself in a lot of your students? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I, I can't say good question. I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I, I mean, I saw myself in the energy of mm -hmm. loads, loads of kids and making off the wall choices and the, the talent, but insofar as seeing kids like me, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, you know, I think probably more of the personality is what I saw. Maybe how, like, I, you know, when I would wear fucking ties to class, even when I wasn't being a TA, I thought I was the hot shit. Yeah. Uh, and I would, <laughs> and I would, I, there was literally a student who would do that. And I, was, I thought to myself, Jesus Christ, it's like looking in the mirror right now. And yet this kid's 19 years old. Um, so I thought that was really, and that, so that really motivated me to want to keep teaching. So I, so whenever I do teach, um, a class, I will hopefully see a Matthew, a younger Matthew, whoever that person may be. And I will get so excited and wanting to help them and all the students, of course, but, you know, I think it's really cool if you do see parts of your, of yourself in someone else. Sure. Sure. Um, so I think this is really cool. Even then later in your career, you still kept training to be a better artist. You trained yeah. with double a double edge theater. Yeah. Um, is that something you wanted to do or kept doing or how did you even come about them? You know what? I, I just was so another fortunate, like, so, oh, I can't tell you. I, you know, I, I um, was finally given and I applied for a sabbatical. I only had one sabbatical in, in the 30 years that I was at Columbia. So when I came up with my sabbatical, one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to spend a week at Juilliard and, and attend as many of their classes and talk to as many of their instructors as I could to see how, like, their training methods, what I could steal. And then I was going to a performance anxiety workshop in Connecticut because I had had and, and still struggled with stage fright. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, I was, re so that plan went in and there were a couple of other small things that I was doing because you have to come up with a sabbatical plan, you know, that needs to be approved. And then, so it was all, it was, it was put in, it was all, it was all set, it was approved. And then during the course of the summer of 2010, I was paging through a copy of American Theater Magazine, their summer issue. And I saw this amazing, full-color, gorgeous article about this theater in the middle of Massachusetts that had been in existence for 30 years, that had taken a reconverted dairy farm and was now an international research and training center. And I thought, how the hell is this theater not on my radar? What? What? I'm a Massachusetts kid. Why don't I know about the double-edged theater? So at the end, in the, in the article, it said, and we offered training, training sessions. 
So I said, I'm gonna, I was 57 years old. It was 10 years ago, it was 50, it was 57. I thought, man, can, and it was based on Grotowski training, which is very, very vigorous training. So I said, do I have the balls and the stamina to do this? But I, I sent an application I, and I called him on the phone and I said, I'm 57, can I, can I do this training? It's 12 hours a day of hard physical training. They said, we have company members from 25 to 75. Come join us. Matthew, January 1st of 2011, I flew to Providence, Rhode Island. I rented a car and in 30 degree below zero weather, I drove the two hours to Ashfield, Mass. And it takes us, I mean, it, it, they're very smart because you have to really want to do this to do it on New Year's Day. I get there at 5 p.m. They have delicious hearty soup and fresh bread and fruit. And we're introduced to the other 14 people who I'm training with and introduced to the company. And then it's getting to be about eight o'clock. I thought, man, we are all beat. Please let us go to bed. And it was about like 8.30 and they said, please go to your rooms and put on your training clothes. And we train till 2 a.m. Jesus. And that is what it was every day for the next seven days. It was, it was amazing. But at the end of it, you know, and I've I tell the story to so many people. You know, at the end of Chekhov's plays, when people are saying goodbye, there's like a, a real leave 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 taking that can become so emotional and at the end of those seven days i was holding on to the company members of double edge mm. crying because it had been such an amazing experience and then i went back i, I did it for 10 years and i was very fortunate the chair before well you, you know john green yeah yeah, well, so, so John Green was the chair before Pete Carpenter. And he also, he knew that I was excited about the, about the double edge. Money was a bit looser than it is now. And when I told him what an amazing experience I had, he carved out a little money from the budget and we brought in immediate, I mean, um, double-edged company members to train every year groups of students wow for 10 years for, ten, for the ten, for the 10 years for 10 years what, what did your students take away from them you think um this passionate intense physical theater improvisation methodology that really excited students and now you know one of my former students travis co is, I know of him. Is a, he's a company member now at the at Double Edge. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had so many so many students that I introduced to Double Edge, then went and continued training with them, and some of them have spent two two years with them. So, and Travis Cole became a company member. That's crazy, and you know, even even with all that, to say that you're still training, you know, proves that even when you're done with school it never stops. The learning never stops. It's a lifelong, lifelong learner, I think, is what you want to be. One wants to be 
a lifelong learner. Yeah. And I, I mean, I use that in a lot of my, when I applied for, you know, tenure and when I applied for a professor emeritus, I, I used the, the, the credibility that I had in, in not doing it, just doing it to widen myself, not doing it for any other outcome than to keep in the game as best as I could and to impart what I was learning to the, to the new students that I was teaching. I love that. Um, so as we're wrapping up, you, I, I just want to say you've taught besides Columbia at the School of Steppenwolf, Northwestern's universities, uh, chair program, the Actor Center, Center, Center Theaters training program. Um, what do you take away from all that? Even as you're retired, what's the one thing that you are so grateful for from the 30 years, the 30 plus years you've been yeah. teaching? You know, it's what I said like a half hour ago is that when I think about little Jeff Ginsburg in his Highland School sixth grade yearbook saying wants to be an actor, I'm so blessed to have had a life in the theater. I mean, you know, as an educator, as an actor, as a director, um, as, as an avid theater goer, as a collaborator. Um, I don't know. I, I just am so fortunate to have found my niche. And, and a lot of the most gratifying moments were in the classroom, in, hopefully inspiring or collaborating with young people and giving them freedom. To, to Again, it goes back to what I first said. I was a shy kid who used the theater to, to express a lot of the passions and feelings that I feel like I, I couldn't express in my real life. And so I love to afford an opportunity and also to turn to turn people on to what I think was great material. I mean, I think also that's another great gift of being an old man who's read a lot of plays and, and done a lot of theater to say, you have to read this play because this play would, has a great role in it for you. You know, and, and so I was really fortunate to, and I also think that like, I was really fortunate because, of course, every, you know, I, I, I wanted to be an actor probably because I wanted acclaim and stardom and to be my generation's Dustin Hoffman, you know, well, whatever. I mean, whatever. I, I wanted accolades. But then I think the people who stay in, in, in the art fall in love with elements of the craft, mm -hmm. like they want to nail stage combat or a Norwegian dialect, or they really love Shakespeare and want to perform verse or do on-camera work. They, there's, there are elements of the craft that supersede wanting to be receiving a Golden Globe. Mm. I mean, maybe that part doesn't necessarily go away, but it's superseded by being an artist and a craftsperson as opposed to just being a celebrity. Mm. Yeah, I was gonna say some of us want Oscars, not Golden Globes. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, of course. Yes, of course. Uh, I, I just want a, I just want a Jeff nomination, but I can. Drink Congratulations! One. No, I want one. I don't have one oh, yet. You don't want worry. One. You want yes. one. You want one. But you know what? If we were acting right now, I would yes and that and say I'm, I'm very humble. Um. Anyway, so we have some time. We're gonna do a game. Okay. Uh, this game is called Time for Two. And it's two minutes on the clock, and it's a series of random icebreaker questions. There's no right, there is no wrong. We're just curious to see your opinions. Okay. All right. 
You sound so confident. Yes. All right, here we go. And in four, three, two, one, go. Coffee or tea? Coffee. What part of the human face is your favorite? Eyes. Would you rather have unlimited sushi for life or unlimited tacos? Sushi. Things you buy most often at a grocery store? Cheese. What chore do you absolutely hate doing? Washing the floors. Ooh. Do you think a hot dog is a sandwich? I hate hot dogs. Ooh. No. <laughs> what movie? Oh, good, good for you. Uh, what movie <laughs> would be greatly improved if it was made into a musical? Oh, my God. I, um, would be greatly improved. And I, I, I can't. Scarface. <laughs> I would pay to see that. Um, have you ever been fired before? No. Uh, alligators or crocodiles? Alligators. Uh, earth, wind, or fire? Fire. Ted Danson, your thoughts? Oh, I just think he's charming. With the gray hair. I, lo- I love him. I love Cheers. I, I love Mary Steenburgen. I- 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 Ted Danson is my generation. Uh, hippies or hipsters? Oh, hippies. Uh, super salad. Super salad, like what's in it? Yeah. Which, or do you, which one do you prefer? Oh, soup or salad. I said super salad. <laughs> oh, oh, salad. Um, favorite beetle? Oh, Jesus, John Lennon. Uh, Chips Ahoy or Oreos? Oreos. Where does the end of the rainbow take you? To the Garland's house. Nice. Uh, besides this podcast, do you recommend any other podcasts? 10% Happier, Dan Harris. An amazing, yeah. Ooh, and that's how we end it. Okay. That was great. Well, Jeff, before we go, I have one final question for you, which is, um, are your parents proud of you? Oh, yes. So, well, I mean, my parents are dead. But they're proud of you. <laughs> But but my, but I would say my 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 definitely yeah I, I I really feel like yes yes I mean I was I was raised to be a good Jewish boy I have fought sixty eight years to release the harness of that obligation but I think that my parents would say Jeff was a good is a good Jewish boy I love that answer well Jeff I can't thank you enough for doing this this was a, a, so much fun and getting to learn more about you was obviously a thrill to do so thank you thanks matthew thank you for inviting me wow finally now you know now i know yeah actually i don't know because i haven't actually listened to the episode yet well that's just how we record these things but by the time it goes up i will know yes that was jeff ginsburg the wonderful and um very um inspirational and whimsical jeff ginsburg so wonderful yeah so well, griffin how is it being the uh, poster child for this podcast going being the poster child is going well um despite the fact that i am neither on any posters nor a child um i i still think it's going pretty good but i'll, I'll tell you i'll tell you what the the new role i've taken on this week matt what is that uh, I am now our official tissue dispenser. Oh. I, I discovered I discovered last week that uh, that that my ear was actually a suppository for tissues to be pulled out of. 
Really? That's true. If you reach in my ear and pull, a tissue will come out. I don't want to know that. Well, you, hey, here, I'm going to pull out from your ear right now, from wherever you are, some information about the show. You can. Oh, of course. Yeah, you can follow us on Facebook and on Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast and email us at Parents Proud Podcast at gmail.com. I, I, I want those emails. I want them. Yeah. Email us. Email us your questions and we'll do a mag- mailbag episode. Oh, that would actually be a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll, pro- we'll do a mailbag episode. Email us your questions or uh, your thoughts on the show. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> They're just... What if, what if we just get only emails of people uh, upset that Connor's not here anymore? That will probably hurt. <laughs> anyway. It will. Anyway. But but it'll it'll be good for Connor's ego, so... You know, you you win some, you lose some. Yeah, good for her. Well, before we go, should we mention who uh, next week's guest is going to be, Matt? Yeah, it's going to be Bart Chateau, a Broadway singer and actor. Broadway, you say? He was Jean Valjean. Ooh. I know. We'll find out more about him next week on Are Your Parents Proud of You? Adios, amigos. Adios. Adios.